Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello again, and welcome to the new episode of the Aronex podcast. This is the podcast looking at the transformation of the shipping ocean and maritime space. It's a podcast looking at the people, the technology and the environment of the seas, which, if you didn't know, is why I chose the name Aronex. My name's Craig Eason, and I run the Fathom World news site and help organisations with their conferences and events. Now, staying in the realm of French underwater science fiction, today's episode is about one dream to turn science fiction into science fact. Fabien Cousteau is the grandson of Jacques, Jacques Cousteau, the French underwater explorer who revolutionised deep water diving and filmmaking. His family has since taken up the storytelling and sense of underwater wonder that he developed and it is his son Fabian who has launched Proteus Group, a philanthropic business venture very much about opening a window to the opportunities under the ocean waves. A well-known diver documentary filmmaker in his own right, Fabian Cousteau launched Proteus Group with the aim of raising the funds to build a permanent deep water research habitat, a place where scientists could live for months at a time to conduct their research and where filmmakers could reveal the wonders of the seas. And it was while I was moderating the recent IMO Biofouling Research and Development Forum in London that I met Mark Patterson, Proteus's chief scientist and experienced diver himself, as well as Gary Rosewell, Proteus Partnership Director. It's their job to promote Proteus before any sponsors and to help make the Cousteau dream of a space station of the seas a reality. So I sat down with Gary and Mark in a quiet room at the headquarters of the International Maritime Organisation to ask them about the project and started by asking Mark where the original idea for the project came from. This is the brainchild of Fabien Cousteau, a grandson of Jacques Cousteau. And Fabien's um, a dear friend. I've worked with him uh, since the, uh, around 2012 when he visited uh, myself and Sylvia Earle inside a habitat that is actually in the water now. Uh, very unsophisticated habitats, almost like camping out underwater called Aquarius off the coast of Florida. And when uh, Fabian visited, he was completely smitten because his grandfather had actually invented living underwater back in the 1960s. Of course, so everybody's familiar with uh, Jacques Cousteau and what he achieved in his yes. lifetime. So after his visit, he wanted to experience living underwater himself. So two years later, he mounted a massive, massive undertaking called Mission 31, where he spent 31 days on the bottom of the sea with a team of scientist aquanauts conducting science, conducting engineering experiments, and reaching an enormous number of people. Uh, our media analysis uh, post-mission showed that he had uh, 10 billion media impressions uh, during the course of those 31 days. Uh, if you were to do the computation, one out of every 10 people on Earth knew what he was up to. So it was a wonderful way to educate the public about the risks posed by climate change to the oceans and about the value of actually putting people and having a permanent human presence on the seafloor. And after Mission 31 was done, he said, right, 
I need my own habitat. And thus Proteus was born. The, the idea is to build what I understood from what, what you've said to me already is a habitat of Curacao. Yes. Um, to build something that will be not necessarily deep and it's top level, but could potentially, because of the slope, when you go off the Curacao coast, it's quite steep there. Yes. We'll sit on the edge of the slope and be like one of those cliff face habitats or homes that you sometimes see. In, uh, so you, you could then go down to significant depth. So what's, what sort of depths are we looking at here? What sort of missions are you likely to see uh, performed there? And then I want to have a chat with you a little bit about how it's actually going to be put together and working. So those are great questions. Uh, most of what happens of importance in the ocean happens up in the surface layer where there's sunlight. That's where the whole food chain spins up. That's where we have commercial fisheries. Uh, that's where the action is in the ocean. And that's why Proteus will be located there on a beautiful coral reef, in part because coral reefs are the first major ecosystem in the ocean that are under threat of extinction at the global level at the hand of all of us. So that's why Curacao was chosen. The reefs are still in good enough shape that we can learn things about what a healthy coral reef looks like. With respect to the depth, uh, the hatch depth where the aquanauts will enter and leave at the beginning and end of their mission is about 20 meters deep, but they'll be able to range down as deep as 50 meters on this dramatic slope that you just mentioned. And that brings them to the edge of a very special part of a coral reef called the mesophotic. The mesophotic zone is where sunlight is starting to uh, peter out a little bit, uh, but there are still uh, corals and algae and other photosynthetic organisms. And we don't know a lot about this uh, deeper zone. And this, this is a, a worry because this zone may be the place where corals live that will repopulate the shallows as we have repeated episodes of coral bleaching. It's also a zone where there's intense competition between the organisms there for space on which to live on the reef. And a lot of these animals that are fighting for space have unusual compounds that they use to wage chemical warfare on each other. And some of those compounds may be extremely valuable to the pharmaceutical companies as they look for new antibiotics or new drugs that can kill cancer cells. So the potential for discovery by citing the habitat there is huge. And that's why that depth was chosen. That said, uh, Fabienne has uh, ambitions to have more than one Proteus and to make these work at deeper depths. So while we are starting at 20 meters with an air atmosphere and working down only to 50 meters, we will have the capability to see what's going on deeper by using robots and by using uh, human-occupied vehicles, little submarines, if you will, to allow us to go down into even deeper water where there may be even more to discover. But even that top hatch level, you say it's 20 meters. 20 meters, That's yeah. still not a, a depth that you can immediately go back up to the surface with. If there's an incident, you can't vacate that, exactly right. that there and go to the surface. So you've got to be careful about whatever you're building here has got to be not only self-sufficient, but have that uh, security and that reliability um, built in there as well. And on top of that, I believe you're as much as possible going to try and get your energy for this from green 
sources, so it'll be renewable sources yes, we, as well. We intend that this habitat uh, not have a fossil f footprint at all, if at all possible, uh, that it be powered by the energy provided by the sun, uh, by wind energy, and by wave energy. Uh, yes, it is a, a complex thing to live on the bottom of the ocean, even as shallow as 20 meters. As soon as you live there for a few hours, you can no longer go back to the surface without undergoing uh, a rigorous decompression, which takes about a day. Uh, so uh, the, the surface is your enemy and the, and the International Space Station of the Ocean is your new home. And I like to say, having done this uh, 10 times myself uh, for a total of three months on the ocean bottom, okay. that you have uh, what I like to call the uh, aquatic uh, equivalent of the overview effect that astronauts have when they see the Earth uh, from low Earth orbit for the first time. Uh, living underwater gives you a completely different perspective on our ocean planet. You, you have what uh, Dr. Sylvia Earle, a noted explorer, calls the gift of time to take your leisure and uh, spend an entire day outside working and observing and studying nature in a way that's not possible if you're a scuba diver out of a boat and a visitor for 40 But it's, it's, it's certainly going to be one of those things where nothing is done in haste or too quickly. Everything has to be done in a well-planned manner. I've seen footage of the space station, even a spacewalk. It takes a long time to facilitate that. In the same way, anything that happens down um, here, down in the depths, would be, have the same kind of caution and the same security. Oh yes, saturation diving is monitored by a, a very competent surface support team. And they do uh, map out your day for you uh, in advance, which sometimes leads to some interesting back, back and forth with the people doing the work and the people thinking how the work should be done who are back at one atmosphere of pressure. Uh, but those things are, are easily solved. And, and the procedures have been worked out on prior generations of habitats. What, what's unusual is that uh, there really is only one habitat left in the world at the moment, Aquarius, off the coast of Florida for scientific research. And it can only house uh, four scientists uh, during a mission. The missions are typically only a week long. Fabian's vision is to make uh, something much bigger and more capable where we're not just surviving underwater and camping out, but we're actually thriving and actually able to spend maybe a couple of months at a time which would really uh, cause a sea change, no pun intended, in how we get work done underwater. Mm. There will be uh, underwater gene sequencing laboratory, for example, so that we can short circuit the workflows that may be of interest to biopharmaceutical mm. companies. We'll have a network of sensors giving us a 24-7 view of the underwater weather on the reef at Curacao and what all the animals and plants are doing during that time. Uh, there will be an underwater broadcast studio so that uh, he and his aquanauts can bring uh, the compelling message of discovery to millions of people worldwide, including using techniques like uh, virtual reality mm -hmm. so that you'll be able to put on your, your headset at home and feel like you're inside the habitat with Fabian as these discoveries are made. So there, there's, there's, a, there's a growing number of, um, I would say, extremely focused and wonderful philanthropic kind of endeavors that are happening 
at the moment. Over the last decade, I can think of three, four, maybe five different um, projects, ideas that are developing. Um, do you work in unison with some of these? Are you working alongside a lot of these other philanthropic activities that are going, whether they're building a large vessel um, to go out and do mm-hmm. long-term research or some other underwater um, yes, depth yes research? Yes, we are. And uh, we're fortunate that uh, Fabian's one of the world's best science communicators, and he's had a nonprofit for a number of years, the Fabian Cousteau mm. Ocean Learning Center, where he's uh, gained valuable experience himself on how do you engage the public? How do you do what's known as citizen science, where yeah. not just visitors that may come down that already are uh, certified scuba divers, maybe school kids come for a visit, etc., but people who actually help us gather the data and analyze it. We're going to be getting a fire hose of data every day once Proteus and its sensor network and its attendant robots and the submersible that's going to work in conjunction with it. And we're going to need the public's help in looking for anomalies and making new discoveries. There's just going to be so much raw material there that I can imagine uh, schools across the planet uh, being um, Jacques Cousteau uh, in miniature at scale in a way that's never been done before. That, that to me, is very exciting as an educator. Gary, from... Today, I mean, obviously, this isn't just being announced today. It's been a long time in the mar- in the in the making, and you're developing the whole project. But when do you envisage starting to actually build something? And what sort of engagement do you need from various industry actors and that to actually get this into reality? I can't imagine, first of all, that this is cheap. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine that is something that's going to happen too quickly because, as I was talking to Mark about. There's a lot of safety aspects here that have to be considered when you're living yeah. at depth for a length of time. There's a lot of new technologies, I imagine. There's a lot of ways that you're going to have to develop, you know, the living conditions yeah. um, for there. So what can you tell me about how this project is going to be brought to reality? Yeah, yeah. So many layers to that. Uh, and it really starts with our favorite jurisdiction, which at the moment is Curacao in the Caribbean uh, for a number of reasons. One, it's a bit of a blind spot for ocean science in that area. Uh, it's a beautiful region. We know that we will have appeal to a mass audience. We can bring adventure tourists there. Uh, but also, it's one of the, the few areas in the Caribbean to have an accreting reef. So for science, uh, it's absolutely fascinating that it's a beautiful area for research. But the reason I bring that up is because there are many layers to dealing with governments, with businesses, with uh, global, regional, local, national institutions to bring a project to life. Uh, and we are working on those. It is our favorite jurisdiction. We're very hopeful we can make the project happen there. But we are in discussions with other locations as well. Uh, so other hope spots we would refer them to, uh, other uh, reef areas with rich biodiversity as well, with which we can study the science, but also delve deeper into the, the science communications of that. Uh, Mark touched on that. It's such a valuable, important area that we need to really grow with ocean science. There is a sense of urgency now at the institutional level, but among the general public, I feel we really, really do need to push the subject. Uh, as an example, if you just touch on uh, biofouling, we're at a conference today talking about that. It's a fascinating subject. Uh, and I'm relatively new to it, mm-hmm. but it's not talked about enough. And, and we do need to find ways of engaging the general public with that. So I think a couple of layers. Firstly, in terms of our location, we really do need to uh, get a move on with that. And we're working very hard with that. Uh, but also in terms of how we communicate with the general public and 
and public and, and local community acceptance of the project. We don't want to be a former colonial force, so to speak, coming to an island and uh, telling them what to do. We need to have their full support. Uh, but you did touch on the finances. Proteus is around a $200 million project. We're very open and transparent about that. It's a, a collective, uh, collective shared effort to make that project happen. Uh, and that comes through private investment, angel investors, uh, but also through private sponsors. For my sins, I come from a background in Formula One. Uh, I worked there for 12 years across several teams and agencies and rights holders. Uh, I did, did just, to, just to add there, when we were talking in this biofouling yeah. uh, event yesterday, I found it... It tickled me that one of the aspects, it was made in slightly in jest, but I imagine there's an element to this. You don't want biofouling on sponsor logos. I thought that <laughs> was a good point. I, I prodded Mark to mention that when he was speaking, so thanks Mark for that on me. Uh, but yeah, private investment is a, is a big aspect of this project. Hmm. We're very open that we are a for-profit social enterprise. So our pillars really for the organization are very purpose-driven. So education, conservation, um, certainly bringing the message of ocean science to the general public science and research and discovery. Uh, less than 5% of the ocean has been discovered around the world, which still staggers me to this day. Um, so there's a huge opportunity for organizations to come on board with the project and work with us. We don't use the term sponsorship, it is a partnership. And we're doing science collaborations, ranging from uh, anything to do with reef restoration and, and talking about it to the general public, through to uh, technology research and development, how can we bring to life new tech that will have sustainable benefits for the blue economy in the future? Through to aquaculture, how are we going to feed the world uh, mm. in 2030, 40, 50, when half of the world's population relies on ocean biodiversity to survive? Uh, we need to find sustainable solutions to these challenges. And that's where Proteus is really going to be at the tip of the spear for those scientists. Let me play a little bit of devil's advocate here because Mark was mentioning the ability to use robots um, and, you know, autonomous underwater vehicles yeah. to go out there from Proteus. But why not just send them from a land-based and monitor from there? Everybody's talking about the ability to use autonomous systems yeah. in the seas. Yeah. And it's something that I've covered from a shipping perspective quite a lot. Yes. But why do you need to be doing the that remote from a remote location, if you understand what I mean. So a couple of points I'm sure Mark will, will chip in. Um, th this whole concept that my colleague Brian constantly uh, reminds me of is a continuous human presence on the ocean floor and the sea change in perspective that that will offer. So first and foremost, just from experiencing that, having your mindset change quite dramatically in some cases, you might be there for say a month or two months, but your perspective does change and you start to forget about the land. Um, you start to get very close to the biodiversity that's down there. And that's the, the change in mindset that we feel we, we need to inculcate in the minds of the public. Uh, so Mark did allude to some experiences and we will, be, we will be bringing down members of the public to Proteus to experience that firsthand. Uh, but from a practical perspective, working on the ocean floor uh, saturated will offer up to 10 times the amount of bottom time that we can have for research. So there's a real, uh, I guess you could say, data-driven rationale for performing research on the, on the ocean floor in that way. Uh, but also the human-robot interaction we fundamentally believe is, is critical to supporting the future growth of the blue economy and ocean science and research. Um, but also just think in terms of monitoring uh, human survival in extreme conditions. Um, we're talking with organizations about potentially looking to wearable tech. Uh, how okay. do we survive under pressure? For, from a, a confined space uh, perspective, uh, but also under extreme conditions. 
you know, with different levels of pressure outside, you're constantly working. The schedules you're working to living in confined spaces. Proteus is going to be a little bit more spacious than, say, in an Aquarius, as Mark alluded to earlier. Uh, but there's lots of conditions there in some ways that you can compare to living on the ISS in orbit that we're going to mm. be able to monitor. And that will be valuable for science yeah. in the future. I don't know, Mark, if there's something to, to add. But I, I would say also living there, this is just my perspective as a former seafarer who's been deep sea, I would say there, there, there's a certain mentality that you need to have that would be similar. Because when you said, you know, your pace of life changes, when you're at sea, when you're on a ship, yes. your pace of life just changes. You haven't got the hustle. And I, am, I could imagine, therefore, that you would find it quite beneficial to talk to submariners as well in this context oh. to understand. Yes, I actually have a lot of uh, friends who are submariners, who are, we affectionately call them bubbleheads in the U.S. Navy. Um, I wonder what they're going to call you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there are some similarities. Uh, the isolation aspect, relying on technology. The, the big difference is you don't get to go outside of the submarine unless you're a Navy SEAL on a sneak mm. and peek mission. So um, getting back to um, why people need to be there, as opposed to just sending down um, a thousand diving robots uh, to do the same job. Uh, well, the job's not the same. Part, part of the job is to educate and inform and collaborate with the public. And we can't do that without humans being in the loop. Uh, I'm a big partisan of how cool AUVs are, having stood up a business that made them for a decade and still developing the technology in my lab and I, I trot out uh, the, the lines at uh, conferences when I'm talking about the value of robots, that they, they do dull, dirty, dangerous work. They work 24-7 under all kinds of wind wave and surface conditions, and they don't ask for overtime or paid leave, et cetera. So there's, <laughs> there's, um, <clears throat> there's lots of benefits to having a robotic co-worker. That said... And we've seen this with the uh, robotic vehicles that uh, humans have put on other planets like Mars. Having a human in the loop to recognize a true anomaly and react to it and make a new discovery is something that's way beyond AI and machine learning right now. I, I, I have a patent in machine learning so that underwater vehicles can see anomalies from side scan sonar data or other imagery but it doesn't work nearly as well as showing the same image to uh, an expert because the human brain and eye is the world's most powerful supercomputer mm. with capabilities far beyond anything we have in technology right now. So in short, that's why we need the human presence mm. augmented by our robotic helpers. I'd probably just add to that as well, just again on the science communications front, being able to bring to life Proteus from the ocean floor, live and direct. Imagine the interviews we can do with Fabien Cousteau, the children yes. we can engage with that. I think for Mission 31, it was actually 10,000 school children we engaged on that one mission. It was 100,000. Oh, 100,000. Apologies. 100, I'm understanding us, Mark. What am I doing? Uh, 100,000 school children. So just imagine that sort of level of engagement. It's such a purpose-driven project and, and really, really engaging. I just probably finished on that, but we're, we're talking about potentially doing weather reports uh, live and direct from Proteus as well. Uh, so Fabian probably doesn't know it yet, so maybe I shouldn't have mentioned it, but it uh, could be another really fun angle for science. What sort of weather for forecasts or reports would you do 
underwater weather. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's underwater weather. I mean, uh, that, that's something that you don't get right now, and yet it's so important to the health of the planet. What is actually happening yeah. on the ocean around a healthy coral reef? Mm. What's happening in other areas of the ocean? It won't be just focused on the first location of, of Proteus because we have built one of the largest machines on the planet now, uh, the ocean science community has. We've got uh, almost 4,000 diving robots that are these little smart buoys that leave the surface and go to depth and come back. We've got cabled observatories in the coastal zone in many different regions mm -hmm. on Earth. There's a whole international partnership that's um, gathering this data in the same way that the space agencies, NASA, the European Space Agency, are, are monitoring the planet from outer space. We're just starting to do that underwater, and we think um, our Cousteau would be a, a wonderful spokesperson for letting the public know what's actually happening, yeah. where the, where the uh, hope spots are, where we've got trouble, and what we can do about it as a species. What's the, just, just to end, because we're running out of time, but what would you say are the, uh, the immediate, immediate technical aspects you've got to go through in terms of bringing this into reality? Are there any key technologies that you're, not necessarily that they don't exist, but you're really having to see how they work together? Yeah, so research in the area where Proteus is going to be built first and foremost, and we actually started that late 2021 with our first benthic mapping mission. So that's already completed, working with uh, fantastic partners, uh, Map the Gaps, I believe it was, if I remember mm -hmm. correctly. Um, so that's already completed and we've shared that data with the Curacao Marine Protection Agency, Carmarby. Um, we are hopeful to go again later this year, which will be a second mission effectively to do just that as well, uh, backing up the research we've already carried out. Um, we're going to be working with an Italian organization called DRAS. Uh, they bring 100 years experience in the hyperbaric engineering uh, industry to the project uh, and all being well with the project financially, politically, commercially, uh, we are looking to get the project kicked off as soon as possible uh, with a view to a 48 month build uh, period. Will you build it in situ or build it and bring it there? Build it and bring it. Build it and bring it. Yeah. Okay. So we're looking at, uh, I would say, potentially some early trial missions in 2025, uh, but looking to go fully operational probably late 2026 at this stage. Well, that's Gary Rosewell and Mark Patterson from Proteus Group talking about plans to build an underwater human habitat where researchers, filmmakers and storytellers can live together and help tell the stories about the health and value of the oceans. So that's all for this episode of the Aronex podcast. Please, if you can, would you send me a like, a thumbs up to show you support this podcast and share it and like it on your podcast platform or online so that other people can find us. You can also find the podcast and similar stories to the ones I cover here on Fathom World, where we publish more stories and analysis of the transformation of the shipping and ocean space. Until next time, I'm Craig Eason. This is the Aronex Podcast. Thank you and goodbye.